This is Storage Unpacked. Subscribe at storageunpacked.com. This is Chris Evans with a Storage Unpacked podcast. I'm here with Gary Ling from Hitachi Vantara. Still Hitachi Vantara, Gary, is it? Oh, yeah. We'll, come, it, on, we'll, we'll come on to that in a second. Still Hitachi Vantara. Um, and you saw some organizational announcements, so we're still the same company. Excellent. We're going to talk about that in a second, but let's um, just take a second and tell people what you do for the company first, and we'll dive into a, a bit of a discussion about products and company. Sure. Um, so I run uh, product and solutions uh, on the marketing side, uh, all about go-to-market, um, and really kind of transform the way we do go to market in terms of leading with customer impact, customer outcomes, tying to solution use cases. And uh, all too often people, yeah, they want their low latency and high performance storage, but at the end of the day, what's the workload? And yep. uh, it, it's, it's a shift for some people. Um, but at the end of the day, those are what make the good stories. Those are actually people can understand the gravitas of, you know, certain storage solutions that you know, have that impact, whether it's, you know, in healthcare or financials. And we do pretty well, actually, um, uh, very much in a lot of highly regulatory environments or environments where there's no time for downtime. Yeah, that's always been a bit of a, um, a, a sort of key USP, shall we say, of the, of the platform that started with the 9900. Funny enough, I did some um, research. I went back and I have a little x-ray document I published a few weeks ago. I went back and looked at the history of all the products and that guarantee was out with the 9900 in like 2001, I think. So, you know, you've you've had that reliability story all the way through. Yeah, it was interesting. It was one of the first market movers. And uh, I, as you know, I've worked for a number of the other companies uh, in the enterprise storage space and both focused on software and run product management. But yeah. coming out with 100% data availability guaranteed is been a big deal um, to a lot of organizations. And then we're seeing all these additional um, guarantees, especially as the market moves to more of a, let's call it a consumption-based model or, or you know, basically acquiring services yeah, um, going forward. So that's what a lot of people are looking for now. But we, we sort of set the table stakes on that. Um, and it's things that people have laid their hat on because it just doesn't break. So let's talk about um, the VSP then and the announcement that you made a few weeks ago. Yeah. Now, this is an interesting one because um, I think it's the, you've badged it VSP1, I believe. Correct. That correct. Um, and it's a, it's a consolidation play in some respects, but it's more about creating a platform, I think, having looked at the, um, the press release and had a briefing on it. So do you want to take us through what the, the rationale behind it is and what you're actually going to do? Yeah, I, I think we looked at it from outside in, really talking with customers, analysts, subject matter experts, you know, to try and get, you know, a real lay of the land. I mean, we've been selling, uh, the, the storage industry has been selling, let's call it the arrays, uh, whether we're talking scale up or scale out for many d- decades. Um, and you had to choose, you know, your, your NAS box or your, you know, file or block or object. Um, and, you know, you're selling so many multiple specs in a lot of cases. What people are looking for is, really a foundation, a, a stable a foundation in a, in, a, in a partner, as well as the technology. Um, I think with, you know, certainly the advent of the growth of, uh, you know, public uh, cloud offerings, um, different service levels that are people expecting, you know, you've got to kind of start to rethink 
um, yeah. the customer experience. Um, and the net of it is there's so much data silos, so many data silos out there um, locked away. So then that creates a lot of duplication of unnecessary content, bloating, keeping a lot of data around and just making data infrastructure highly complex. So we sort of started there to, to kind of really look at this. Yeah. And, and fundamentally, it's broken into kind of three areas. One is, and, and the biggest one really is looking at, you know, a single data plane. So whether you want file, object, block, or, you know, mainframe, because obviously that's a unique type of data, then you should have one data plane. Uh, make it easier for the customer to consume the information. Um, and, and certainly being able to allow them to access it in any which way they want, whether it be through interface or in a lot, a lot of cases where you talk about storage as code and being able to have APIs directly into the underlying infrastructure. Yeah, absolutely. The other areas is in terms of looking at the overall data fabric. And, and I'll, I'll leave that one off for now, but really is also looking at the control plane. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we've all been around a while where we've all talked about the single pane of glass or oh, spog. Yeah. And yeah. um, at the end of the day, it's like give people the access to infrastructure with the interfaces or the applications that they want. You know, why restrict them to go through one area? So if you want to manage, you know, on-premise storage from Hitachi and the ability to, you know, manage Google storage, then, you know, using Google Anthos, you should be able to use that interface. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, why force people to do that? So I think it's, it's certainly a matter of choice. So we forced it, we sort of forged this uh, play going forward to stop talking about model numbers, stop talking about, you know, this version or that version. Uh, we have a pretty good name in VSP, VSP, you know, virtual storage platform. Yep. And the one was about uniting the, the, the control plane and the uh, data plane and then being able to make it simpler to understand for customers, simpler to consume, um, and then being able to say, well, how do I want to deploy it? So, um, you know, most of our, like, you know, our, our, most of the time we're known for our high-end storage, high-end enterprises that, you know, rely on us um, because it's been so unbreakable. But if I now want to run a software-defined in a V app or software-defined on, on um, you know, raw disk, or I want to run you know, again, VSP1 running on AWS, I can yeah. now do that. And, and I should be able to access it the same way. Um, not relearning, retooling, new training, new systems, different pricing models. Um, you should be able to consume it the way you want. So this was kind of our strategy direction to make it simpler. Um, it's it's a strategy in terms of a, a, a rollout. So um, okay. we talked about uh, VSP1 running on AWS. Uh, that'll come out in you know the first quarter of, of uh, 24, along with you know updated file support, all under the VSP1 umbrella. Um, later on in the year, you'll start to see uh, some additional things like block um, and, and other elements being added into that, as well as things like you know new data orchestration engines, again to be able to make things easier to consume and utilize and you know program the storage even within the application itself. It's interesting because if you look back at where we were well, 10, 15 years ago, when we were still looking at spinning disk more than anything else, you would have to spend a bit of time constructing and designing a system. You would really have to think about it. Yeah. But the flash world has sort of done away with an awful lot of that. You know, everybody can do a million IOPS. Not everybody can necessarily do 20 million IOPS, but you know, the, the, the need to be 
designing the underlying infrastructure specifically for an application is less of a requirement than it used to be. And the, re the requirement now from people is they want, as you said, API-driven so storage that they can just consume by an app. They can just pick up a, a virtual machine, add that storage in, or whatever it, it is they want to do with it. And I think changing your setup to do that makes a lot of sense because the requirements are not the same as they used to be. Yeah. Modern requirements are focused around things like ransomware and you know the API, the automation. And it's almost like table stakes to be able to do a million IOPS now. Yeah, it's funny, and you, you, you know, we've both been around a while, and I remember you know having 64K and a PC and saying that well, that was a lot. It, it's amazing how things have changed. Um, you know, I, I remember some articles a while back where we were talking about, ooh, two million IOPS. You, no one's ever going to need that. Yeah. Um, you know, just like when they invented the train. Oh, you're going to suffocate when you go yeah. over 65 yes. miles an hour. Um, but people find a way to use that extra performance. Uh, AI has been the obvious one. Yeah. You know, the demand for um, throughput for AI for training. Yeah. You know, so surprise, surprise, people have found a reason. It, it's always going to be pushing that. I mean, you even look at our phones, right? Well, I'll never need access yeah. to 10,000 songs on my iPod. Well, now you've got infinite access to music and it is the, the bar keeps moving. Um, one of the things, though, you can create a million IOPS, two million, three million IOPS, you know, microsecond latency. I think the key, th key thing is the level of quality and consistency. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so I can run like a bat out of hell. I used to joke about American cars, you know, they can they can do 200 straight miles an hour in yeah. a straight line, but, yeah. you know, try and go down an English country road and we may be in, a, in trouble. So it's a matter of that consistency. And it goes back to these guarantees as well, not only data availability guarantee, but can you do performance guarantees, uh, security and prevention guarantees. Um, and you mentioned ransomware. So, you know, we're not a security company, but, you know, we're a data company. And, you know, people want to be able to ensure that their data is protected. So we've got multiple layers. I mean, we've been there, right? We've got snapshots, replication, yeah. synchronous and asynchronous, um, then backup. Um, and now you've got to start having, because of ransomware, uh, immutable snapshots. Yep. So you can't, that's constantly moving. And what we've done actually on that side is built kind of this seven layer of, of, of security. And we're looking at some branding around that. But you know, tying in with Hitachi information security systems right. to do all of that as well. So it's um, it's one thing being Hitachi Vantara, the enterprise storage uh, player, and, you know, we've got this new, you know, focus about being this data foundation for innovation, but it's also been able to utilize and tie in with Hitachi, um, you know, let's call them the, the industrials, you know, where we make bullet trains and we power 15% of the world's energy this all needs data and it's becoming more and more apparent and look at the gen ai stuff you know yes, um certainly some technology looking for some markets everyone has different views of the use everybody cases everybody seems to be plugging their gen ai uh, piece into their application or their product aren't they i mean every day i see somebody else who said oh we've now added these features and it's all gen ai okay great but you know, your product has to sell your product, not just because you've added another little tick box that says you've got something oh, else in there. I was watching TV the one? other day, and it is an insurance company saying, powered by AI. I'm like, okay, now we're really yeah. you know, um, yeah. washing, washing the things. It does come back to use cases. Um, in today's event, we, we, we heard a lot about trends in the market. Uh, we heard 
customer inputs, which was really exciting to see, and then the outcomes that we're able to achieve. At the end of the day, some things just aren't sexy, like backup, like DR, yeah. you know, and you know, you can add all the bells and whistles and capabilities, but if you don't get the fundamentals right and consistent, then you know, what's the point? It's interesting, isn't it? Because, and I should really have said, you know, we are actually sitting recording in the bar here because it was the, the quietest place we could find. Um, not for any other reason, of course. Um, but we are actually in an event in Paris today. And, you know, you've had customers here. I've been sitting chatting to some very interesting, you know, customers about their different issues and so on. And, and it's been more of an engagement rather than a broadcast. So you've yeah. been trying to get people to, you know, feedback their issues and what they're experiencing. And I think everybody seems to be experiencing the same sort of things, you know. They've got the same challenges. They've got to deal with things like the ransomware stuff, but at the same time, people are expecting them to understand things like Gen AI and bring that to their, you know, to that knowledge to their company. So it's, it's a constant, constant effort to keep up. Yeah, one of the things I heard today, which I thought was interesting, was the FOMO, the Oh, fear, yeah. fear of missing, fear out. Of missing out and of yeah. course our, you know my kids are probably like you know dad why didn't you know what that meant i said well because it's something that you're probably you know yeah. doing because well, they're not on instagram or snapchat or facebook or one of these things um you're right i think the 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 gen ai thing has got so many possibilities um and that's why you've got people looking at legislation you know our svp uh Bharti patel you know, she went out and she met with Congress about okay. Gen AI um, and AI in general, where where it's going, what it's doing. So she's very much at the forefront, working with um, you know American uh, you know legislative stuff. I think that's always a challenge about what do you restrict, what do you grow. But I think there's the the traditional FUD or fear, uncertainty, and doubt. People just don't know enough yet. They know they know the acronyms. Yes, true. They, they know the concepts, they know when they use ChatGPT, it gives some great results, but it's only a certain amount of data because they don't have everything yet. Um, I've seen it um, you know, deployed with inside applications to help improve the experience. But I think one thing is for sure, uh, Gen AI will um, give a kick to the amount of volume and variety of data. Um, you know, whether we're doing an auto-generated movie or pictures, but then it comes down, down to, again, what value is the data? What price do we put on it? Is it powering the business or are we just creating fun stuff and a more junk? <clears throat> yeah. And you mentioned it today. I yeah, remember a lot of junk around. So much junk data or yeah. redundant data that you could just trim. Um, and it was interesting today, the, the discussion with all the customers about cloud, on-premises, off-premises, traditional infrastructure. Again, it comes back down to the workload. Um, yeah. What are you I, trying to achieve? I wasn't, I, I, I wasn't trying to say that we shouldn't, we should start shrinking the volume of data. I think that maybe got misconstrued in, the, in one yeah, of my comments. Yeah, they did. People, some um, people didn't quite get it. But what I actually was referring to was saying we should be demonstrating that we're actively using the data we're retaining. So should we have to keep 10 times the data we had before? That's fine, as long as we can demonstrate we're actively using it, because then you can justify the storage of it, the cost of it, and everything that goes with it. It's the storage of stuff that you're never going to look at again, that you've got no idea even what it even is half the time. That's the stuff that we should be getting rid of. That's what I was trying to imply with that comment. I, I think the fault in the thing is we're human. Um, there are people yeah. who just like to keep stuff. 
you know, we, we, we have arguments with our other halves of like, why are we keeping this old stuff in the garage? That's me. Right? And <laughs> it, we should throw it out. We're never yeah. going to use it. And of course, then the day, and then you convince, and the day you, <laughs> the day you throw it out, it's yeah. like the day you wish you'd kept it. But I, I think it comes back down to things like the data lifecycle management. Can you identify your good data, your valuable data to the application or business? And then what is truly rot or redundant, obsolete or trivial that you can start having a policy and an ideally an autom automated by based on intelligence to trim, reduce, so forth. I think it comes back to the, to these data silos. You, you move data from one storage system and you copy to another one and then you and they're not connected in any way. And then you're trying to run dedupe. Well, you need to run dedupe between the environments. Absolutely. Because, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's it, because it, it just creates so much silo and redundancy uh, and you could truly, truly, truly cut your package down. I remember one customer, they were talking to us about, you know, their hybrid cloud environment and they budgeted some things to move certain applications to the cloud. Not everything, but just, you know, certain specifics. And they budgeted like $10 million for this project. Well, after we did a little discovery and classification of what data they had, they realized that there was so many petabytes of information that they could just take out to the, the garbage. Yeah, yeah. And they literally said, wow. And they reduced their budget more than half and then redeployed that budget for something else because they'd got budget approvals well, you, and now yeah, they're you're not give it back, are you? Nobody's going nobody, 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 to give back budget. Nobody gives back the money. But I think the interesting thing with that is that if you're moving towards a single platform and VSP1 gives you that physical layer onto which you can deploy your protocols and all your other features, you could potentially, and I'm not trying to put words into your mouth here, but you could add on functions and features that allow people to manage that data more effectively. And that's where I see the value of having a single platform, is you can start bringing in some really clever stuff to help people understand what they've got. You know, even from the just categorizing it and saying what it is, you know, that would be a start. And platform becomes the, the important thing going forward, not a piece of hardware that's a box that's in the data center. Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. I think one of the, what you're hinting at is about a kind of a, a thinking of API first. You know, so that there are best of breed applications um, and you're both from third party as well as you can build yep. yourself to ensure that true integration and interoperability. Um, I think in a lot of cases, people get hung up on what is and what isn't a platform. I look at it very simply. Um, you're trying to ensure that you build a solid foundation that's not going to break. Um, like you build a house, you have a solid foundation, a, you know, that concrete slab, you, you know, that foundation or platform that you're going to build up from, and you know it's not going to move. It's going to be unbreakable. So as you build up that house, um, or whether it's a high rise in New York City, you know that it's not going to fail you. And I think that's what people are looking for. And it, when we talked about table stakes earlier, the table stakes are, it shouldn't break. Um, there is no time for downtime anymore. Uh, it used to be, I think, in some cases, some businesses would be like, oh, if it's down, system's down, storage is down, network's down, no big deal. But because we live in this real-time world yeah, where cannot be down. immediate gratification takes too long, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you better you know, keep things running 24-7, 365. You better redundant copies. 
Um, but we had a discussion about that today. There was a yeah. comment about um, everybody in their online banking. Who doesn't do online banking? Well, if we all do online banking, banks can never go down. No. You can never have an outage. Um, the app interface to get you to those um, the banking services can never go down. Right. You know, look at something like Cloudflare when it goes down. It causes complete chaos because it's so re re um, sort of integrated into so many other applications. So, yeah, we live in a 24-7 world where, as you said, the foundation, the platform has to be as rock solid as you can, as you can possibly make it. And you have choice. Uh, I, I think one of the things that we're doing, we've seen a lot of people moving to, you know, how they acquire or, or transact on, on storage or data infrastructure, um, whether it be, you know, a subscription base, whether yes. it be, you know, traditional um, pricing models. Um, but you should also have the choice of where you'd want to deploy it. Again, like I said, uh, I said earlier about on-prem or in an appliance, but then you want the same level of resiliency. Um, and of course, some people say, well, that's not possible, but it's a matter of having that same experience, uh, no matter how you want to deploy, no matter how you want to, um, you know, you know, utilize the infrastructure. I think that's an interesting thing about the deployment in the public cloud. So um, initially, I think when we saw the public cloud being um, designed and built, we looked at it and thought, oh, great. It's, some of it looks a bit like on-prem, you know, the idea of virtual instances and so on. The storage side of it initially seemed to get neglected quite heavily. It did, yeah. The storage was fairly flat in terms of its performance and capabilities. They didn't really add a lot in there. But in the last sort of four or five years, that's ramped up significantly. And you look at now at any of those platforms, Amazon, for example, you've got 100 gig networking between instances, you've got local NVMe drives, you've got really high performance storage that you could use. But do you want to do it with their interface? Or do you want a consistent interface that matches your on premises stuff? So that as you move and migrate between on premises and the cloud, you're not bulk copying data or having to use clunky methods to get its stuff in and out. Or, and you get a consistent experience. So your ability to put in um, the VSP1 stuff, which I guess is SVOS, is the underlying software, as a, as a VM or as a, an infra, as a, however you choose to deploy it, I guess, but running in the public cloud mm -hmm. gives you that consistent performance characteristic and, and look and feel. But also you can use that high-powered MDME, you can use that networking, and all of that is a real game-changer to where it was 15 years ago. I think, you know, the, the market's really evolving, you know, from a technology perspective, as well as um, people are looking at what is their core competency. Uh, I was talking to a, a customer today and he said, look, I've got so many applications um, and I have to keep using these. But one of the things that they're looking at is why are they in the power business and the air conditioning business yeah. and the real estate business? I said, that's fair. Um, and, and that's why, you know, we work with, you know, BMW um, and BMW outsourced all their storage and services to us. Um, so it's not always shipped in a hunk of iron, but again, it's providing data infrastructure, different layers. Um, I think what, you know, one of the things that we are seeing is some differentiation around intelligence. And we talk about Gen AI and AI, but let's just go back, talk about like infrastructure intelligence. You need to understand your infrastructure. Um, ideally, you can't understand everyone else's infrastructure, but if you can understand your infrastructure, then you can automate. Yep. Um, and automate, as we know, is all about doing more with less, less human error. Um, 
And arguably, it's not just about things like AI ops. Um, it's also about understanding the data itself, the metadata, uh, the payload, and then saying, what service level does this data ha require? What applications or users or, you know, and what's the life cycle of it? Um, you know, we joked in talking about data uh, ILM uh, years ago, and we, everyone giggles a little bit about bringing it back up, but data lifecycle management yeah. is a proactive approach to understanding your data for maximum efficiency. And that's changed recently. So um, I, I look back at it and thought, when I first heard about ILM, which was probably mid-90s, 95, yeah, yeah. I should say, when I remember Veritas talking about it, um, ILM and, and life cycle of data was very much a sloping curve. Data was created and the value of data went down over time until it disappeared into nothing and you got rid of it. And it's not like that it's anymore. It's not like that anymore because now you create data, that data might be useful initially, then you might have a lull period and then somebody says, we could combine that data with that. Suddenly the value of that data comes back up again and that data might get integrated into an application which is now core to your business. So the protection of that data now needs to go back up again because it, it's more valuable to you. So your, your treatment of that data over time is now variable, not just a straight line curve. That's a very different way to look at it now. Actually, I got some uh, real world examples there. I was talking to a genomics company and we were talking about their data management, their data life cycle and how long they keep things and so forth. They said, we keep it all forever. I said, what? what? Again, genomics, you're trying to look back at diseases and yep. you're trying to look at all these things. So that was interesting. And I remember, I think it was one of the US um, armed forces. It may have been the US Army, but it was... Um, you know, I said, well, how long do you keep your data around? And they're like, forever. I said, really? They said, no, 35 years. Because apparently, I think it was 35 years, because that, that's the time someone could be the longest in oh, the military. Serving. Yeah. So, again, yes. different perspectives. Like the lifetime of the patient plus 10 in medical or whatever they do. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, yeah. I think at the end of the day, it's like, how do you continuously reduce complexity? You know, we, you know I kind of look at over the years, you've got... You went mainframe where everything was centralized and then you went client server and it went decentralized and then you went virtual machines and it started to consolidate again. It's expand, contract, expand, contract. We see a lot of that. Um, and, and unfortunately, a lot of enterprises, they're having to navigate this. Then they're having to deal with the legacy. Yeah. Um, you know, back to the innovators dilemma. It's like, yes, I want to innovate fast, but you know, again, back to fear of losing out, I've got to support my business today. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that's really an interesting discussion, but I think we should, before we wrap up, quickly talk about um, structural changes within Hitachi Vantara, because as, we, as we, were, we were speaking, or literally as this event was on, you had a press release today, which does a little bit of restructuring within the business. So, do you want to take us through what that actually is? Yeah, well, I think most people will know the Hitachi Limited brand name. I mean, we, you know, um, we've got Hitachi Energy, Hitachi Rail, um, and one of our groups, Hitachi Digital Systems and Services, um, is the overarching, you know, conglomerate that Hitachi Vantara is part of. Yeah. Um, and so one thing that was announced today is uh, Sheila Rohra is now the CEO of Hitachi Vantara. Um, she's uh, ex-NetApp, ex-HPE, um, okay. very much a trans um, transformational leader in terms of changing 
and, and adapting uh, to growth. Um, so exciting times there. You see um, Hitachi Ventara really doubling down on data infrastructure. Um, you know, one of the things that you'll see in terms of our perception or our persona is we very much are a data foundation for innovation. Um, and that's where we would focus. Um, what we'd span out or, or made as a, as a sister company um, is actually Hitachi uh, uh, Digital Services. So more of the consulting arm right. outside of that. That does a number of things and enables them to you know, focus on their core business, uh, work in uh, ITOT conversions. Uh, but it also ensures that Hitachi Vantara doesn't, you know, is solely focused on data infrastructure and the transformation of that. Um, there's exciting stuff going on, um, not only stuff around, you know, our product alignment, but also what's going on in the market, you know, working with companies like NVIDIA, working with, you know, people that are really doing some game-changing stuff. The key thing is, is it's all about data. Yeah. Um, that may be an obvious, you know, a statement to many, but you got to know the data. You got to look at the manageability, availability, and performance and scale of that data. That old acronym of MAPS, you know, we used to use back in the Veritas yeah, yeah, days. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know, it is kind of interesting. But now, people are looking at they, they want flexibility and choice. You need the intelligence of the infrastructure and the data. You need that unbreakable, resilient offering, whether it be software or hardware. It's a platform. And, and now sustainability is big. Um, redundant, the amount of volumes of data there, you know, like I said, back to redundancy, you've got to have sustainable infrastructure. Ironically, Hitachi Limited has been innovating continuously for decades, but, you know, doing sustainability by design. But outside of the technology innovations, I think when you're in the data business, you're in the trust business. Um, people need to trust your technology, that's fine. Um, they need to be reliant on it, that's fine. But they really need to trust you as a partner. Um, and, you know, innovation, it's not about selling products, it's a matter of working on innovation together. Yeah. Um, and, and being almost a, a co-developer of solutions. And, and that's the exciting thing, uh, the things that you can actually change. And if you can store more and process more, um, and, and get insights from data faster than ever before thought possible, then maybe we can make an impact on the world, like solving leukemia quicker. Um, those are the real-world impacts that make a big difference. Uh, yes, it may need IOPS. Yes, it may need latency. That's, that's a so what. You know, it, 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 that's the what. The real um, thing that gets me excited is that how you can impact lives. Yeah, we we always need to focus on the out on the outcomes really, yeah. and that's what it's all about. So, but um, I th I think our volume level and bar seems to increase yeah. a bit now. <laughs> it might be a good time to wrap up. Um, so Gary, great to catch up with you again. It's been great to, to have a conversation about where things are, and let's you know let's keep the conversation going. Absolutely, we'll do this again, but let's enjoy the rugby tonight. Yes, absolutely, great. Thanks, Gary. Take care. You've been listening to Storage Unpacked. For show notes and more, subscribe at storageunpacked.com. Follow us on Twitter at Storage Unpacked or join our LinkedIn group by searching for Storage Unpacked Podcast. You can find us on all good podcatchers, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Thanks for listening.